Well, each week for the four weeks of Advent, we are taking a look at a different song of Advent, a different Christmas hymn. And just briefly looking at its history, kind of listening to it to kind of get it fresh in our minds, and then spending most of our time looking at where does this song and its message come from in Scripture. And the goal is that helps us tune in even as we're singing, as we're worshiping, so that we're singing with understanding, we're singing with knowledge, and we're singing God's Word back to Him. Last week we looked at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and this week we're going to look at the song, What Child Is This? Now this is also um, one of my favorites. There's not a lot of good sing-along recordings of this, but I think I found one that will work well for us today. Um, So what child is this? Brief history of this song. It was written by William Chatterton Dix in 1868. And so it was first published in a hymnal called Christmas Carols, New and Old. A couple years after that, it was republished. The same book was published again kind of as an illustrated edition. And so the illustration that was with this song, I don't know how well you can see it, but at the top there, we have Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And then what's really kind of interesting across the bottom, uh, this is focused in on verse two of the song. You have things that have to do with Jesus' suffering and death. So from left to right, you have the nails uh, used to nail Jesus to the cross. Then you have in the circle, I know that's probably a little hard to see, but sitting on the stand there is a crown of thorns. And then leaning up against it is a cat of nine tails, which would be kind of the the whip that was used to beat Jesus. And then on the right-hand side, you have two things kind of crossed there. One is the spear, that would have been used by the Roman soldier to check to make sure that Jesus was dead. And the other thing is a sponge on the stick that was used to offer Jesus a drink while he was on the cross. So everything that's in that um, illustration there, in that engraving, has to do with the cross, which is interesting. And there's a very good reason for that that we'll get into as we um, kind of think about this particular song. I won't go into the details, but it's, a very un, it's some very unusual poetry in this song. Uh, for those of you that are tuned into music or poetry, I'll just go over this really briefly. Instead of being like a, a kind of a standard song that has an 8787 eight, uh, meter with refrain, this one has 8744768867. It's, it's a lot more complicated musically. And then the rhyming, uh, if you're a poet, you know how you have different lines that rhyme. This one, instead of being like A-B-A-B or A-B-B-A or something simple like that, this one is A-B-C-C-B, D-D-E-F. So some lines rhyme, some don't. Some are kind of shorter that are packed together that rhyme with each other with other ones that rhyme around it. It's, It's kind of a complicated musically and poetically type of song. And there's more to it than that that I won't go into. We're going to listen to the song, and then uh, we'll spend some time digging into God's Word to see where this particular song comes from.
right, let's take a look at the text of this first verse here. What child is this who, laid to rest on Mary's lap, is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. This is a song that really is communicating a sense of wonder. And uh, it begins with a question. What child is this? That's a very important question. It's actually a question uh, that in one form or another shows up all throughout scripture. Jesus, you'll remember, speaks with his disciples and says, who do people say that I am? And they give him some answers and then he says, Who do you say that I am? That's really a question that every one of us needs to answer. C.S. Lewis gave a famous answer to it. He talked about how when we're thinking about who Jesus is, if you consider the things that Jesus said about himself, there's really only three options. Jesus is either a lunatic, he's a crazy person, or he's a liar, so he's evil, or he's the Lord, lunatic, liar, or Lord. There really are no other options available based on what Jesus said about himself. That's a very important question. Turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 1, where we were already. Luke chapter 1. And what I want to do is I want to just kind of give you a quick skim through the Christmas story to see some of the ways that the Christmas story answers this question of who Jesus is. So Luke chapter 1. And we're not going to read a lot of it. We're just going to kind of drop in on a few places. And I'm going to have you turn to a number of different passages this morning. So be ready to flip around in your Bible. Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start here in verse 30. <clears throat> this is after Gabriel, has, he's appearing to Mary now. And in verse 30 we read, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So first of all, the name Jesus means Savior. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. There's another answer to the question, who is this? And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Another answer to this question of who Jesus is. Turn over to chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Let me read for you starting in verse 8 about the shepherds. Luke chapter 2 starting in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Another answer to the question of who this is. Look down in verse 28. Luke chapter 2, verse 28. Simeon now is holding Jesus in the temple. 
It says, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He's a light. He's glory. He's salvation. And we could do the same thing if we turned over to the gospel of Matthew and looked at the account there. We would see, for instance, the wise men coming to Jesus. And they come first to Jerusalem and they ask the question, where is he who was born king of the Jews? We've seen his star. We've come to worship him. He's a king. And as that prophecy is recounted, he's called a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the Christmas stories give us lots of answers to this question, what child is this? So what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Well, he's the Savior. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of the Most High and more. Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping. It's recounting for us the Christmas story. As the angels come to announce and celebrate and the shepherds are there to watch. This, this is Christ the King. He's the Messiah, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Yes, this baby lying in the manger is the king. As crazy as that sounds, that's the truth. The long-awaited king. So haste, haste to bring him laud. Hurry. Laud means praise. Hurry to bring him praise. Join in with the angels because this baby deserves our praise. We went through verse 1 fairly quickly. We're going to spend most of our time on verse 2. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian fear. For sinners here the silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Just like verse 1 began with a song, verse 2, or excuse me, with a question. Verse 2 begins with a question as well. Why lies he in such mean estate? In other words, if, if what we said in verse 1 is true, if he's Christ the King, Why is he here? Why are we in a stable and he's lying in a manger? Why is he not in a palace? Why is he here surrounded by an ox and a donkey? Why is it shepherds who are here and not the king's court? Why such lowly circumstances? Well, to answer that, we're going to turn to the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah really stands behind this song. Turn to Isaiah chapter 42. The answer that's being given here is, he's in such lowly estate, he's in this place because people don't recognize him for who he is. He's come to a nation and a world that do not recognize him. Now, as you're turning to Isaiah, Isaiah 42, let me just remind you what we have seen before about the book of Isaiah. It's best understood if you divide it into three parts. Isaiah 1 through 39, 
40 through 55, 56 through 66. Those three parts. The book of Isaiah is given to Judah all at once, but it's intended for them in three different times. So the first part, the biggest part of the book, chapters 1 through 39, is for Judah before they are taken into exile. So it's a message that's letting them know what's about to happen because of their sin. The middle of the book, chapters 40 to 55, is a message for them while they're in exile. It's a message that says, here's what's going to happen for you to be rescued out of exile, so to speak. And then the end of the book is kind of for after exile is over. It's a a vision of when God has restored things to the way they're supposed to be. The passages that we're going to look at come in the middle section, while they're in exile. And in this section, there are four songs that are known as servant songs. They're songs about God's servant. And we're not going to read all of those songs, but I want to show you a couple verses from each one. So in Isaiah 42, the first servant song is Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 9. And I'll just kind of set it up by saying this. It gets really confusing as you're reading Isaiah and trying to figure out who the servant is. Because sometimes it seems like it's the nation of Israel. Other times it seems like it's an individual. But even when it seems like it's an individual, it's still confusing because sometimes it seems like it's someone who suffered and died. And sometimes it seems like it was a victorious king. And so there's a lot of confusion And the rabbis in Jesus' day had all kinds of discussions about who this servant was. And there were some people, some teachers, who said, well, it obviously can't be just one person because the things that are said about this servant are too different. So there's got to be two servants. Some people said, well, it's the nation. But then they said, well, it really sounds like it's talking about an individual. And so there's all of these questions. Who is the servant? Just like the song we're talking about this morning is saying, what child is this? There's a lot of questions that surround the servant in Isaiah. Who is this? So the first servant song, Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, let's take a look at verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, if you happened to catch it while we read the the verses that Mary says in her prayer, she refers to my servant Israel. Israel as a nation was considered God's servant. And this servant is supposed to be bringing forth justice and is supposed to be um, a message to the nations. Look at verses six and seven. I am the Lord I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. And again, here we have this question, is it talking about a group like the nation? Is it talking about an individual? But 
Yes, the nation of Israel was spoken of as a light to the nations. The next servant song is in Isaiah 49. Turn over a couple of pages to Isaiah 49. The second servant song goes from verse 1 down to verse 7 of Isaiah 49. Let me just jump in in verse 3. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. So here we have the servant identified with Israel or if it's an individual, the individual is being called Israel as if this individual represents the nation. Now look at verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. So, just pause there for a second. Part of the job of this servant is going to be to bring Jacob and Israel back. Now, this message is given to them while they're in exile, so it could be that the servant is bringing them out of exile, but it's also that the servant is bringing them back to the Lord. They've wandered away from the Lord in sin. But now look at verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. So, The servant is going to bring back Jacob and bring back Israel, but that's not enough. The servant's job is going to be bigger than that. It's too light a thing that it just be that. What else is it going to be? I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So the servant is going to be involved in not just bringing back Jacob and Israel, but extending God's salvation to the ends of the earth, a light for the nations. Now, the third servant song is the next chapter, chapter 50, verses 4 through 9. Just look with me at verses 6 and 7. Chapter 50, verses 6 and 7. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint And I know that I shall not be put to shame. So in those verses, you have faithfulness of the servant despite suffering. The servant is going to suffer, but is going to be faithful. The last servant song is the longest one, and it's the most familiar. It starts in chapter 52 and verse 13, and then it goes all the way through Isaiah 53. Very familiar verses that I know you've heard many times. Jump in with me in chapter 52. Look at verses 13 and 14. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Okay, so just pause there and think about this. In verse 13 of chapter 52, we have the servant high and lifted up, exalted. But in the next verse, his appearance is marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond the children of mankind. So he's high and exalted, but he's been beaten beyond recognition. How are we supposed to put this together? 
Now, I want to read all of chapter 53. These are very familiar verses, and it's a prophecy about the Messiah. There's one verse in particular that I want to highlight for you, but I want you to hear the whole thing. So follow along as I read Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And here's the verse I want you to note. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide with him, divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So who is this servant? Well, standing where we do in time, we can look back and recognize very clearly that these are prophecies about Jesus. We see that the suffering servant is Jesus. But I want you to see that in the book of Isaiah, this is a big question. Who is this? And in Jesus' day, who the servant was, was a big question. And in Jesus' day, the question also is, who is Jesus? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I want to show you how even that particularly picks up from Isaiah. So turn with me again. This time to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. In this passage, Philip is sent to an Ethiopian eunuch who is traveling from Jerusalem back to his home country. So this is a man who serves in the court of the queen of Ethiopia. He's traveling in his chariot. And as he's traveling, he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. 
And God sends Philip to meet him. And here's what we read. I want to start in verse 32. So Acts chapter 8, verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So the eunuch is reading from the passage in Isaiah that we just read from. Isaiah 53, about the suffering servant. And look at verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? So what's his question? Who is this? Now look at Philip's answer. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The gospel about Jesus. Philip tells the Ethiopian eunuch, the answer to your question of who this is, is Jesus. Let's turn to another passage. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Now I already told you about the passage where Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And there's different suggestions. Some say, you know, that you're Isaiah. Some say that you're John the Baptist or whoever you are. Right? They, they have all these different ideas. Who do you say that I am? Jesus asks. You're the Christ, the son of the living God is the answer that comes back to him. But I want you to see what happens then in Luke chapter 7. At this point, John the Baptist has been thrown into prison. So imagine John the Baptist, he's, he was sent with this, this task of preparing the way for Jesus. And he does the task, he prepares the way for Jesus, he preaches the message of repentance. Now Jesus is on the scene, and what happens to John? Well, John said, look, I have to diminish and he has to grow. And literally, John's thrown into prison, he's off the scene. And so now John is sitting in prison, got a lot of time to think. And he's hearing the rumors of what's going on with Jesus. And John's got disciples that come and visit him and tell him what's going on. And apparently, what's happening in Jesus' ministry is not what John expected. And so John sends his disciples to ask a question. So look at Luke 7, starting in verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. In other words, what Jesus is doing in his ministry, his healing and whatnot. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? If I can paraphrase that question, who are you? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Are you the Messiah? Because what you're doing sure doesn't sound like what I thought the Messiah was coming to do. Verse 20, And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? 
In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, I don't know if you remember in one of the servant songs that we read, but there's very similar phrasing. A couple of times this language comes up in Isaiah, but the one that I think Jesus is particularly quoting here is from Isaiah 61. Now that's in the third section of Isaiah. It's the section where the kingdom is being described after the Messiah comes and restores things. And it's this idea that the blind get their sight back and the lame are able to walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and things are being restored to the way they're supposed to be. But there's one part of that prophecy that Jesus leaves out. The prophecy in Isaiah 61 says, and the prisoners are released. I think Jesus is subtly telling John, you're not going to be released from prison. Yes, I am the Messiah, and I am the one who is the coming king, and I am restoring all things, but that doesn't mean that you're going to experience it in this life. John's not going to get out of prison. John's going to be beheaded. That's just an interesting kind of side note to this whole scene. But here Jesus is answering the question of who he is by pointing to the book of Isaiah. The glorious kingdom of Isaiah, that third part of the book, comes because of the second part of the book, the suffering servant. So the suffering servant is the one who makes the glorious kingdom possible. And Jesus is pulling all of this together as he answers the question of who he is. So now let's return to our song, What Child Is This? Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Now you notice in the song that we sung, we, we changed the language, we updated a little bit, right? So we sing in our version, the ox and lamb. Well, of course, words change meaning over time, and so we update it for obvious reasons, but we actually lose something in the translation here. One more passage. You can turn there if you want, or I, you can just listen as I read. I'm only going to read two verses. Isaiah chapter 1. This is verses 2 and 3. Okay, so verse 1 just introduces the book of Isaiah, and then in verses 2 and 3, here's what we read. Okay, this is the vision of Isaiah, and it begins with this. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Now, who's that talking about? It's talking about Judah. It's setting up the whole reason for the book of Isaiah. You've been sinful, and so you're going to be taken into exile. But verse 3 says this. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. 
The ox knows its master. The donkey knows its master. But my people Israel don't recognize who I am. William Chatterton Dix, as he writes, What Child Is This?, is drawing on this language from Isaiah. The ox and the donkey are here with Jesus, and they know their master. But why is Jesus lying in such mean estate? Why is he here in a stable and not in a palace? Because he's not recognized for who he is. Israel's looking for this glorious king who's going to come and win a victory over the Romans. But if you understand the message of Isaiah, you understand that's not how the kingdom comes. The kingdom comes by means of a suffering servant. Why is he lying here in such mean estate? Because he came to be a suffering servant so that he can bring the glorious kingdom. So good Christian, fear, not be afraid, but awe and reverence. Have wonder and awe at this scene that you are seeing. For sinners here, the silent word is pleading. Who's the word? Well, Jesus is the Word. That's John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But what is unique about the Word here? It's the silent Word. Well, first of all, that's ironic, right? I mean, Word is communication, but this is a silent Word. Why silent? Because of Isaiah 53 and verse 7. Like a sheep, he opened not his mouth, and he was silent before those who were going to kill him. And so here, William Chatterton Dix tells us, the silent word is pleading for sinners. The silent word is Jesus in his suffering at the crucifixion. And what he's saying is, in the night leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus is praying for his people. He's pleading for sinners. And on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus is pleading for sinners, but he's the silent word because he's not opening his mouth in defense. Like a sheep going to the slaughter, he makes no argument because this is why he came. Why is he here in such mean estate? Because he's the suffering servant. He came to do this. He came for the cross because that's how the glorious kingdom is achieved. Nails, spear, shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Nails and spear, that's the implements of the crucifixion. Pierce, that's the language of Isaiah 53, again, and of the spear piercing Jesus' side at the crucifixion. And the cross that he bears is the reason that he came. And he bears it for me and for you, like Isaiah 53, for our transgressions, for our iniquities. That's why he came. So hail, hail the Word made flesh. 
the babe, the son of Mary. Hail, acclaim him for who he is. Recognize him. Unlike the world that he came into, we should recognize him and acclaim him for the Savior King that he is. He's the Word made flesh, John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you see Jesus, the Word made flesh, for who He really is, then He is glorious. But you have to see who He is. That's why He came. And so... The questions are being answered as we go through the hymn. What child is this? He's Christ the King. Why does he lie in such mean estate? Because this is why he came and how he achieves his kingdom. He's doing it through suffering and the cross. Now the questions have been answered. We know who Jesus is and we know why he came and why he came the way he did. So, Why bother with verse 3? What's the point of verse 3? Well, the point of verse 3 is, now that you know who he is, and now that you know why he came the way he did, how should you respond? So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant, king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise the song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Those are the gifts of the magi, the wise men who came to honor him. And we are called to join in with them in honoring Jesus for who he is. What will you give to him? Will you give him yourself. Come, a peasant king, to own him. To own him means to lay claim to him. Yes, this is my king. Come, peasant king. Peasant, bottom of society, king, top of society. No matter who you are or where you fit into society, this is your king. The king of kings, salvation brings. One last passage I'm going to ask you to turn to. Revelation chapter 19. Jesus is called the King of Kings several places in Scripture, but I think this is the one that William Chatterton Dix has in mind. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, we're going to read. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Okay, so let's just pause here. Jesus, in his first coming, came in a stable, in a manger, and he suffered and died. In his second coming... He comes as victorious king, making war on all of his enemies and establishing his kingdom. That's what we're reading about here. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood because he's been slaughtering his enemies. 
And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Now this word is no longer silent. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The name is on his robe and it's tattooed on his thigh. This king is coming to make war. He's coming in victory. And I think that's what William Chatterton Dix has in mind when he says, the king of kings salvation brings. That's who this is, this child in the manger. He's here to suffer and die on the cross. But don't lose sight of the fact that he is also the victorious, glorious king of kings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Is he your king? Raise, raise the song on high. So we're supposed to join in with the praise of the angels Mary has already done so. The virgin sings her lullaby. She's singing. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. His birth brings joy because he is the promised Savior King. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come, peasant King, to own him. The King of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise the song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy for Christ is born. The babe, the son of Mary. Lord, as we consider the words of this song and as we consider the scripture that has given rise to this Christmas hymn, I pray that you would use it to just once again turn our attention to who Jesus is. What child is this? He is the suffering servant who came to die on the cross in our place. And he is the glorious king who one day will return to establish his kingdom. So as we at Christmas celebrate, and as we have all of the things that kind of surround the season, and we've made it into oftentimes this kind of sentimental Uh, snow falling, uh, warm hot chocolate, presents and lights, kind of uh, Norman Rockwell scene. It's not that that's wrong, but we need to not lose sight of what the birth of Jesus is all about. Because there, lying in the manger, is the Savior King. And I pray that as we celebrate Christmas, we wouldn't just be celebrating good times and family, though that's important, we would be celebrating this one who is the silent word who pleads for sinners and suffers and dies for them, but is also the glorious king who establishes a kingdom and our place in that kingdom is secured by his work on the cross. So may our hearts enthrone him and may we worship him with Mary
as the Son of God and the King of Kings. We pray it in his name. Amen.